Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There is no doubt we face a profound economic challenge. We now need stability and unity. I pledge that I will serve you with integrity and humility. The most important objective for our country right now is stability. Governments cannot eliminate volatility in markets. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepger. Welcome to the programme. So Ewan, uh, the Prime Minister has been forced to pull a vote on the government's house building plans. This is kind of hugely important, isn't it? Yeah, it's not one of those thorny issues which seems to keep coming back. We've had talk of Brexit this week and now house building. It's something that governments of both colours have really struggled with. 45 backbenchers, Tory backbenchers, have signed an amendment which would have uh, stopped the imposition of top-down house building targets on local councils. A lot of Tory MPs feel very strongly about this and it is getting in the way of the government's plans. Yeah, the likes of Theresa Villiers, of course. It's the issue of, you know, those leafy, uh, conservative-leaning um, uh, constituents not wanting to have extra house building where they are. And yet, you know, the numbers are very difficult. And this is a really thorny issue. People like the boss of Bright Blue, which is a conservative think tank, resigned only just earlier this week, citing one of the issues being homes that younger people who should be voting Tory aren't because they can't get on the housing ladder. Yeah, he said that the Tories have, have failed millennials and he said housing is, is a big, big part of that. Now, the Tories promised 300,000 new homes a year by the mid-2020s. That was yeah. the manifesto pledge. To bring you up to date with the numbers, Caroline, 205,000 housing starts in the latest financial year. That's- uh, OK, that sounds good. But I wonder, A, how much are they being sold for? Where are they in the country, those homes being built? Yeah, I think those, those are two questions. It, it, it is quite good relative. It's better than we've been doing in recent years. Uh, we're actually doing very well in the early noughties. And then there was the financial crash. Right. And the numbers dropped off a cliff down to about 120,000. And I think the danger now, of course, is as we head into a recession, is the house builders start to pull back and say, well, this is not a good time to build houses. And you get that. Yeah. And I think I think that is a danger. But yeah, you do ask a good question about about where they are and, and how much they well, cost. Well, I I do know also that the size of new homes being built. Um, I was really shocked to see that actually in city centres, the size of a new home is about sixty four square meters. That's like six hundred, seven hundred square meters. It's not huge. It's like a couple of bedrooms. It's a flat, not a huge house. Yeah, and I think that same bit of research said that the average home across the country is about ninety square meters. Which it, you know, if you think of a house, well, that, a family, that is it's quite small. Yeah, it's really not big at all. Actually, if you get the train around the country and you look at the houses popping up in the countryside, and it does seem—this is totally anecdotal to me—that hmm. there are quite a lot popping up. They all look pretty small. Yeah, I think they are. Mind you, um, I think at least if you're a home house builder, a large kind of uh, company, at least you can 
you know, they complain that the planning regulations are difficult. You and I'm going through my own planning headaches right now. I'm trying oh, yeah. to get through a little bit of building work on my own property. And boy, it is not easy they dealing could... with the authorities in London. Yeah, because the government has deregulated a lot of this stuff quite it a lot, has, haven't they? Yeah. And they've made a lot of stuff easier. But obviously yours is still um, getting gummed I know, up, is it? Because I'm actually... I'm are you really being a tricky a co- customer? No, I'm not being a tricky customer, sir. I am just in a conservation area. Oh, That's the problem. Oh. Even though I'm surrounded by an area that is not so it's very odd anyway that's all the housing chat uh and the well the problems of rishi sunak uh, around you know the agenda that really just highlights the weakness he's only a month into office yeah it's it's pretty tricky isn't it we're a month in and he's already it's not quite a rebellion but he's had to sort of give up on this important thing because it's it just doesn't look like it's gonna it's gonna sail yeah okay let's move on though and talk about the supreme court because that was another major decision this morning that we want to focus on so the supreme court in london has rejected a bid by scotland's government to call another independence referendum yes it's indy ref 2 the court said that the plan went beyond the powers that hollywood had been given by westminster and that another vote couldn't legally take place without the uk government's approval while reacting to the ruling, Scotland's First Minister Nicola Sturgeon says that Scottish democracy will not be denied. Well, joining us now to discuss this is Linda Towers, Director of Public Law at the Scottish law firm Morton Fraser. Linda, thanks so much for joining us on the programme today. Now, did the Scottish Government really have much chance of success in this case? I think it depends whether you ask the lawyers or the politicians. I think what the courts have done today is very much approach this from a, a legal point of view. What does the wording of the Act say? And they made it very clear that they weren't making a political decision on, on whether or not there should be Scottish independence. They were looking at the words of the Act. And they've decided um, on what is a complex um, uh, decision that, in fact, the, the Scottish Government does not have the power to um, to hold a second referendum without the Scottish, the Westminster uh, Parliament giving them the permission to do so. Okay, um, this is quite an explosive decision, isn't it? In the ruling, the court rejected parallels that were drawn to other cases like Quebec and Kosovo. Were those good comparisons for the SNP to have made? Well, I think they have to make those comparisons because the SNP have been very much this is the SNP as, as a party, not as a government, have been relying very much on the fact of self-determination of, of a nation and that Scots are a nation in that context and therefore are entitled to their, um, their right to have a second referendum. Um, the Scottish government um, adopted those uh, submissions but didn't rely on them in any way. Um, other than saying they were there. And the Scottish government relied in their submissions on the legal arguments around the powers of, of the Act. But at the end of the day, it is a very important decision for Scotland. And um, the, the court, I think, have taken a very pragmatic approach in how they looked at it. They could have, I, um, the thinking was, have decided it was premature, but they've now set out that that was not in fact the case and that the Lord Advocate was very entitled to take the um, approach that she did in bringing the matter in front of the Supreme Court. So that has helped clarify the position of, because this is the first time that's been done in Scotland in the 23 years of the Parliament. So that that's a very important point to have made. But on the substantive point, um, the, it's a relatively short mm-hmm. judgment on that point, but quite clear on the thinking of the court. 
the S and P are clearly not going to take this this lying down. What what, what can they take away from this uh, that, that is of comfort to those who want another independence vote? Um, that's a difficult one to say at this stage. Um, obviously, the UK government have said they would comply with the um, decision of the court. That is true also of the First Minister. She has uh, She's on the record as saying that she would um, accept that. And it will be interesting to see whether or not they now decide, as the Scottish government, that they're going to go with what was stated in their pathway, if you can put it, which would be leading to the, them running the next election, whatever that means, and um, whether or not that's a general election or, or a Scottish government election, um, as, a, as a, 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 a sort of de facto referendum on Scottish independence. But mm-hmm. from a legal point of view, that's very, very difficult to see how that would work and whether or not the opposition parties in Scotland would agree to that anyway. But Linda, are there any other legal avenues therefore open to the SNP now? Not really, not in respect of this particular um, matter. And we may also see, although it's not been said, it may be that this now goes on to the back burner, that the Scotland Act could have been amended by the UK government. That would have been seen as inflammatory to prevent, to make it absolutely clear that no further um, referendums could happen. That may not now be necessary, but the only way forward at the moment would appear to be if the UK government decides to grant uh, an order in council, a Section 30 order, which is what they did in 2013 to allow the 2014 referendum to happen. They gave the Scottish government specific powers to hold that referendum within a, a, a particular timescale. But those powers have now expired. What would it mean if, if the Scottish government tried to move unilaterally on this? You know, they've picked a date, haven't they, ne- next October when they want to hold a referendum. What sort of legal problems w- would it cause if, if they, they decide just to go ahead on this? Well, they would, uh, first of all, the outcome would not be fully internationally recognised. And the First Minister has said that she wants any referendum to be internationally recognised so that um, they are a a proper state, if I can put it that way, and will be recognised internationally. If they went ahead with a referendum without any powers, then that puts that aim perhaps in doubt at least. There's all sorts of questions as well about whether or not it would be appropriate to spend money on something um, because referendums are not cheap Mm. on um, uh, staging another referendum. Um, And therefore, the the chances are that would be challenged in the courts. Again, that they did not have the powers. Somebody would challenge that, either politicians or perhaps groups or individuals within Scotland, I suspect, and probably also the UK government. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including 
sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before, tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Now, Nigel Farage popped into the media consciousness again recently, talking about a Tory plot to betray Brexit. That was after that report that the government was considering putting the UK on a road to closer ties with the European Union. But perhaps less known is that the former UKIP and Brexit Party leader has a side hustle, and that is penning an investment newsletter called Fortune and Freedom. Well, of course, after spending two decades in the City of London as a commodities trader before becoming the face of leaving the EU, Farage does have a lot to say about investing. And Bloomberg's Harry Wilson has spent months looking at whether Farage's strategies actually make you money. Harry, I thought this was such a brilliant piece on the Bloomberg Terminal on the UK website about Nigel Farage. He wanted to take Britain, uh, he wanted to make Britain take back control. And I suppose, what is the sort of information that Farage has included in his personal finance newsletter? Uh, anything and everything, really. So so what <laughs> okay. you get is, is uh, undiluted Nigel Farage talking about financial markets, talking about crypto, talking about commodities, talking, talking about inflation. Um, Really, it, 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 it's so he does, does he do a video and a newsletter then? So yeah, so there's a podcast and uh-huh. uh, uh, there is a video with that, and then you have the the newsletter itself. Um, so this Fortune Freedom, I should add, is is a is a free one. So this is uh, anyone can sign up to this, um, okay. and you get uh, every day delivered to your email box. Uh, well, the condensed thoughts of the company that he's working for, South Bank Research, and sometimes uh, the the words from the man himself. Now I've seen some of these, and these are emails are not um brief are they 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 are they they are pretty long and they and they come thick and fast they do so you get a get an awful lot of them um sometimes they're on general subjects as i say but but quite often you get into this quite quirky world where they'll start promoting some fairly uh, interesting uh, trading strategies um so one one of their recent ones they've been talking about is a thing called the cash surge calculator which um uh, they they tell us was so secretive and valuable that uh, the algorithm for it 
which had to be buried in a, a vault under the Nevada desert. Um, right. And uh, what, it, what, it, what it equates to basically is a strategy for investing what they call cash windows, where Americans invest in their 401k plans, uh, retirement plans every couple of weeks. And you can invest at those moments when the market su should surge. That, that at least is the theory anyway. Oh. Okay, so that's the thing. <laughs> and that's the bit that I think is so interesting, right? Because you've crunched the numbers, you've put a nominal hundred grand to track and follow these sorts of trading strategies, recommendations. What you know, and again, what what exactly does he call them? I think is quite interesting. And the bottom line is, do you make money if you follow Nigel Farage's newsletter? Not at the moment. So this this is a slightly different one. So one, you obviously have the free service, but what we did was we um, we took our ninety nine pounds and we uh, subscribed to a thing called UK Independent Wealth. This is the fee paying. So this is the, this is the the really good stuff. And uh, in here is the they have a portfolio of stocks that you can follow. There's sixteen stocks. So there's some fairly sort of blue chip companies, uh, a couple of ETFs, and uh, we had a go at just tracking the performance of these recommendations. So this all kicked off his first recommendation. Oh, sorry. I should add that Nigel Farage is is very uh, clear that he does not provide advice. Uh, so these are all, this is, he is merely a sort of a, a marketing face for this uh, this service um, but we followed the the uh, the the, f the recommendations the stock recommendations and this thing and what we found was yes you did lose uh, quite a bit of money so at the moment you'd be down uh, about well if you put yourself against the index you're off about twenty five thousand pounds roughly so basically if you put the hundred grand into the Nigel Farage associated kind of investments, you would be down 25,000 versus just putting your money into what a FTSE index, FTSE, FTSE all share, FTSE 100, uh, either of those trackers. Yes, you'd have done considerably better than uh, investing in this uh, collection of uh, stocks in the, uh, the, the, mm. the UK independent wealth uh, portfolio. And hang on, and so what was the conclusion about why it was? A bad investment. I mean, you know, one could say timing, like a lot of people are doing badly at the minute. Yeah, so, 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 so the selection of stocks isn't, isn't a crazy one or anything like that. What, what, what you've got, though, is that the, for a start, the, there aren't really that many uh, stocks in the portfolio, at least not compared to a, I guess, a, no, a normal stock mm. portfolio. So, so I went and spoke to, to a, fund, a former fund manager to get his views on this, uh, this portfolio. And his, his main takeaways were, look, if, if you're going to do this type of thing, you really need to probably have more like 30 or 40 stocks to get proper diversification. And then on top of that, his other point is, well, the UK market just hasn't really done that very, uh, very well. Obviously, the FTSE 100 has, has still outperformed this thing. But generally, his view is you should probably be putting your money in markets outside the UK at the moment. The, the UK stocks are particularly unloved, um, which has obviously been another drag on the performance of the portfolio. Mm, and talking of unloved things, he's also pretty keen on crypto, isn't he? Which has uh, been playing out well, I'm sure. And uh, he's he's quite keen on gold, isn't he? Yes, so crypto and gold are two things that make frequent uh, appearances in Farage's newsletters and in his, his podcast. So in crypto, um, yes, they, they, they frequently 
promote uh, crypto crypto products, crypto services. Um, they always have a slight note of caution saying, look, don't put all your money in this sort of thing. But often when you read the literature that uh, you get when you sign up to these, these emails, you get all sorts of extraordinary stats about if you put your money into this, you could have made several thousand percent returns. So although they're saying, you know, be very careful, on the other hand, there is a quite a bit of hype that they have around crypto. Equally on gold, uh, the portfolio that we looked at, they, they recommend something between 15 and 25% of your money being in gold. Um, and that hasn't been a, a stunning investment uh, as yet. Uh, but again, this c comes back to what is one of their sort of central themes, which has been about inflation. And in fairness to, um, to Farage and, uh, and uh, his South Bank newsletters, they were pretty early in, in calling uh, the, the, the spike in inflation. How does the the kind of political philosophy, I suppose, of Nigel Farage, the the um, the pro Brexit, anti EU, how does that translate into the newsletter and into investing? I mean, because again, like really focusing on crypto and gold, that that has some kind of implications, I suppose, for your worldview, right? Doesn't it? Well, the, the very title of the, the thing, you know, freedom and fortune, yeah. it, it, it's it's a pretty obvious allusion to the, the Brexit campaign and, and the use of language around the marketing of it, take gap take back control of your finances it's it's all very much marketed at people who are i suspect um of a uh, a brexit supporting persuasion i mean for, for instance if, if you're a hardcore remainer i doubt nigel farage is someone that you would ever be listening to on financial matters let alone anything else okay but on that point is anyone complaining about this newsletter or anything else to do with this sort of advice um i, I it's, it's hard to say really uh you know i i, I don't uh, You'd have to probably work in their their complaints department at Southbank to to know that. So so uh, frankly, I, I I don't know the answer to that. I mean, obviously, if someone had religiously followed this advice in the way that that we have done, um, they might be having some questions about their performance when they look at the 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 relative performance of the index. And obviously, that would also save them an awful lot of hassle. It's it's a lot easier just to go and buy an ETF and put your feet up than yeah. it is to to be. Um, dotting in and out of various stocks yeah easier and cheaper what's the cost of all this you say you subscribe to the newsletter for 99 quid is that it well yes that 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 is it of course uh when you sign up to this thing there, there are uh the that's when the sort of real deluge of marketing begins and so you know up comes a page saying do not close this page these offers will never be seen again and and so you start tallying away down this page and um he actually had a little, a little. There's a little sort of totalizer going along the corner, and as you pass each surface, it it tops up the value. And I, I, if I remember rightly, I think when I got to the end of this thing, it was about eleven thousand seven hundred pounds ish. Um, so and this was what they were asking you to pay to subscribe to these um, investments. Is that it, or, uh, or to, the to, information? To, well, so they so they, so they have a, a range of different newsletters. So this was to subscribe to other other newsletters, other newsletters uh, well. and the, obviously they were saying that you know, uh, lucky me, I could have a discount if I subscribe to all these things today. Uh, I, I I briefly raised the issue with my editors of whether Bloomberg expenses <laughs> stretched to stretch. several thousand pounds. <laughs> uh, but I think we decided that uh, ninety nine pounds was probably enough for us <laughs> i love it that you've done the deep dive into the numbers i mean nigel farage is well known as a salesperson i suppose so you know perhaps what was his defense as you say he's he's saying that it's not advice that it's yes yeah, so, so i have to say the my, my conversation with, with with nigel farage wasn't particularly long i think it was probably <laughs> all, all of a minute a minute and, um okay. and uh you know obviously we we had 
put up uh, all of our questions in writing to him beforehand, but um, uh-huh. obviously wanted to give him a, a chance to get his, his comments. Um, his main point was essentially, I don't provide advice. Um, and I think the call went dead the moment I asked, uh, so do you follow your own recommendations? Uh, at that point, <laughs> um, I, I, uh, the line broke uh, for whatever reason. Very interesting. <laughs> Harry, um, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, it's a great bit of reporting. I just love the fact that you have crunched the numbers, that you've gone through the function. What is the function on the Bloomberg Terminal for trying to do this? If you want to map some investment advice or criteria. Yes, portfolio, PRTU. Um, yep, uh, I've go. had great fun with it. So you went off and actually did the legwork. And I think that is absolutely brilliant because, you know, Nigel Farage popping up in, in the political sphere, but he's here in the city of London also. Yeah, offering uh, freedom and fortune. Freedom, perhaps, but it sounds like fortune deferred. Less not. Yeah, maybe <laughs> not. Uh, Bloomberg's Harry Wilson, thank you so much for your time here on uh, Bloomberg UK Politics. Been great to speak to you. So, coming up then uh, in tomorrow's programme, lots more to bring you. Yeah, we've got Prime Minister's questions today and a couple of interesting people who say they're not standing at the next election. Chloe Smith and William Ragg, two uh, young members of the Parliamentary Party, so they're not going to stand for the Tories at the next election. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.